Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Welcome to Talking Business, a podcast produced in Melbourne, Australia. The podcast is available on the Acast app, the Apple Podcast Store, or wherever you go to get your podcasts. Or you can get it at the Business Acumen website at www.businessacumen.biz. I am Leon Gittler. My job is to review and monitor the week's news in business, finance and economics. I bring it all to you every week. This is episode number 29 in our series for 2021, and today's date is Friday, August the 20th. First, I'll be talking to Tommy Huppert, the CEO of medical marijuana company Canatrek. And I'll be talking to AMP Capital Chief Economist Shane Oliver about the profit reporting season and the state of the economy. But now let's talk to Tommy Huppert. Well, Tommy, since we last spoke, a lot's happened with Canatrick. You've now got Chemist Warehouse as a strategic partner. Yeah, that's pretty pretty exciting for a, a, na- a nascent industry to hook up with Australia's largest you know, retail pharmacy chain. They have at least 30% of all transactions, you know, going through the pharmacies in Australia, very strong, you know, distribution channels. So we're, we're very lucky to have achieved this partnership. It's, it's quite diverse. There's a lot of short, medium, long-term um, initiatives, which we're, we're planning to roll out. So we're pretty excited. So, so what will you be doing through Chemist Warehouse? What can we expect? I think the best way to explain it is there's four main fundamentals of this industry. You need to have a product. So you need a grower like Canatrek. You need to have a doctor to prescribe, which we call, it's like the gatekeeper of the industry. They'll decide if you're eligible or not, or what product is appropriate. And you have the pharmacies, which are the dispensing or the retailers, essentially. And is that three or four? Ah, of course, the patient, the patient. You need the patients who are the customers. So we have all those pieces now. We have a, a grower you know, a wholesaler, we're a, we're a licensed importer, wholesaler. Now we have we have a whole network of doctors that we're working through. And and obviously the pharmacy chain allows us to plan the, the scale up of this uh, wonderful industry using this valuable therapeutic resource. Did it take you a while to get them onto medicinal cannabis as a product to sell? Yeah. So, I mean, the, the alliance took uh, quite a long time. It was well planned and thought through. So, and at the moment, there's thousands of pharmacies dispensing already over Australia. So it's, it's happening organically. If a patient has a script, they go to their local pharmacy and that'll probably be the first 
medical cannabis that they've ever dispensed. So it just it's slowly just growing organically. The last time we spoke, you were building a growing centre out at Shepparton. What's happening with that? Yeah, so it's been a very exciting planning. Um, last year was a little difficult because of COVID. Everything kind of froze up. We uh, And here we are frozen again. I had to cancel all my meetings there. But uh, we are very, very close to turning dirt on that site. And it's, it's shovel ready. So we're, we're lining up all our pieces of a, of a major project development, both from a compliance, from utilities, um, you know, I've got high power, high voltage power connected. We all have our permits and uh, it's very exciting. In, and we hope uh, in the following few months, we'll, we'll have some uh, tractors and fences going up and, and over the next 18 months, we'll see a, a, a site um, appear out of, out of the ground. That's, that'll be quite exciting. And what will that do for Canatrix? So Canatrix's goal is to create a an essential medical supply chain in Australia. I think that's been a real issue, especially in the last 18 months. We had issues where we there were no flights of product coming in. We were even looking at a, a rowboat, really, from, a, you know, not I'm not joking, you know, sending in medicine via boat we have to have a central supply chain it, it, and and that's our aim and we're trying to achieve a vertically integrated project all in victoria and actually all in shepparton so at the moment we're growing out of brisbane that's a fantastic prototype and and the scale is about the initial phase three times as large as our queensland facility with the target of potential up to 50 times greater so it's really the end game and the beauty of the project is it's totally scalable and it is completely approved for development. And, of course, you've got a multi-year supply agreement in Europe, haven't you? We have established some very early pioneering export channels. We've, we've had multiple shipments to the UK already this year with a lot of demand coming out of that market. We are planning to export into Germany. Um, we're just waiting on some stability data. There's some higher regulations are required to export into, into Germany. And we're, we're really going from country to country, supporting those regimes who are, are really opening up the plant-based medicine as a, as a valuable therapeutic option. So we're seeing this all over the world. Some countries are, are changing their legislation from a, a, a criminalized product to a legalized medical product. So it's quite a a wild shift, isn't it? Indeed. Would Australian-grown cannabis be more attractive to overseas? Well, I, th- I think the answer is Australia is a very reliable country for what it produces. So if you're going to buy from Australia, you know what you're going to get. That's that's a really uh, important advantage. We've got a good brand, you know, Green Australia, very high quality. Our challenge is to make sure it's at a competitive price. We've got a lot going for us as a producer in this space. Also, the the main reason is that we can grow it outdoors. We've got a great climate. If you look into Europe or UK, they've got you know, restrictions. So how, how, how has your company grown over the last year or so since we last spoke? Oh, tremendously. Um, I'm, I'm, I can't catch up with how many um, employees we have. We're probably closing on 50. So we've, we've probably grown three times or more in, in the last 12 months. The organic growth of the market is growing faster than we can grow. So you, you, it's like, you know, it, I, I look at it like a, a, a new fad that's just arrived and everyone wants to know about it. So it, it, it's it's gone. I wouldn't say the interest has gone extremely 
the awareness is, as uh, I would say, is is growing exponentially. Every day there is an article, you know, there, there, every day there's a, a webinar. So we don't have to do a lot to promote the category. We just have to provide good service, the product available and an and affordable price. Now, what, what's actually given the rise to interest in medicinal cannabis? over the last five years? I think it's a combination of the attractiveness of a plant-based medicine um, and the, I would say, the unattractiveness of chemical-based medicines, which are causing concerns. I don't have to tell you about the opioid crisis. It's a real crisis. The The numbers are not very good. Of I'm talking about the abuse of the product, not people who follow appropriate regimes. The problem is that it's highly addictive and it and it has very poor side effects. And we're, we're seeing a lot of very good stories, anecdotal stories of people going off opioids from one day to the next and, and just moving to plant-based medicines. So plant-based medicines have been around for centuries, but it, the, the issue with plant-based medicines is that you can't isolate all the the goodness in the plant. Traditional medicine is one compound, and and that's the the dynamic. All the products we sell are full spectrum. It's a it's a combination of many parts of therapeutic actives. I would say that's the difference. There's a lot of uh, interest in that side. So uh, where do you see Canatrip going from here? Well, we're a we're a healthcare company. You know, we're health and wellness. Our aim is to help people improve their quality of life. So we are vertically integrated. Our, our tagline is seat to patient. So the aim is to take care of the patient in, in providing an alternative medicine. And there's, we've had some real successes with improving people's quality of life. The, the challenge now is how we can scale up our, our business in supporting that endeavor. There's been a very, I would say globally, there's been a difficult pathway in getting the business model right. And that's been my aim from early days is making sure the business model is correct and deploying the resources at the right time in the right parts of the supply chain. And and so what can we expect to see now that Canatrex in Chemist Warehouse? What innovations are you going to introduce? Yeah, so we the way the industry has evolved is we're at Cannabis 1.0. 1.0 is everyone's got the same product, just a different brand. So there's not a lot of innovation. We've, we've got over 30 SKUs. Um, of different products, which is quite exciting. We have probably the largest range in Australia today. And there's another 10 products coming over the next few weeks, almost a product a week. An example, we're bringing in a medical vaporize, a bit like an e-cig, but it's got therapeutic uh, oil in it. There's creams coming, there's patches coming. So all this is moving to cannabis 2.0, which I think will arrive in the next 18, 24 months, where you'll see pain relief patch, you know, a, a registered sleep tablet, um, all derived from plant-based medicine. So 1.0 is just herbal cannabis and oil. And then we're moving to these very innovative delivery systems, smart vaporizers, personalized medicines. And and it's, it's, it's fascinating that healthcare has just changed dramatically overnight. And and the way it's delivered through telehealth, through, you know, analytics of, you know, we have a, a patient monitoring app we're about to deploy called MyTrek, which will ask patients, you know, after they take the medicine, you know, how was, how did you sleep on a scale from one to 10 or, or, or it might be a movement test. So we need to grab as much data as possible to be able to give prescribers and doctors a good data set to make an informed decision to service their, their customer, their, their patient base. Well, Tommy, that's going to be fascinating to watch and uh, we'll be watching Canatrek very closely. And thank you very much for your time. Absolute pleasure. Thank nice you. to see you again.
And now let's talk to AMP Capital Chief Economist Shane Oliver. Shane, the profit reporting season is quite upbeat despite the lockdowns. It does. Uh, We've got to bear in mind that this relates to the June half, so it doesn't include the full impact of the the lockdown in uh, New South Wales and several other areas, which really only kicked in at the end of June. So it's sort of capturing the tail end of of the intensification of the lockdowns, if you like. It did pick up part of the Victorian one. There was a, and of course, there was a few lockdowns earlier this year. But so far, so good. Yeah, the results, I mean, mind you, we've only had about 40 major companies report so far, but the results have been pretty good with the, I guess, the key themes being pretty strong growth in earnings. Looks like we're on track for 50% or so earnings growth. That's for the full financial year ending the June quarter. Most companies seeing profits up. So far, of the companies that have reported, about 79% of reported profit increases. Bear in mind, the comparison to a year ago was an easy one. That was when we had the national lockdown. And of course, uh, the big one is a chunk of companies raising their dividends or reinstating their dividends. 71% so far have reinstated their dividend. If you add it to those who have left them on hold, you've got 80% either increasing their dividends or maintaining them. And of course, we did see some big pretty big capital returns from companies like Rio and CBA, but obviously a fair way to go yet. And we do have to allow that these results, somewhat historical, they do relate to a period before the intensification of the outbreak in Australia due to the Delta variant. And that's obviously going to impact in the current half year. Some big standouts this reporting season with JB Hi-Fi, which was a major beneficiary of Australia's first round of lockdowns, as many people bought laptops, monitors and other peripherals to set up their home offices. That's true. And uh, some of the other retailers have done reasonably well. I, I guess we have to be a little bit cautious here in that the lockdown caused significant distortions. You know, there was that period where when we have a lockdown, you know, you can't go out, so it constrains you from spending. The current one... New South Wales in is is that, but of course more people have transitioned now to online purchasing, and of course one of the you know, the big the big hit during a lockdown is to services spending, but good spending increases. You know people can't go on a holiday, they can't go to the hairdresser, or they can't get massage. You know, there's a whole lot of services that people have been constrained from spending on, but they and they can't overseas holidays certainly out. It's become harder to go on a domestic holiday. So money has been reallocated to household goods, electronic goods that go in the house, uh, office equipment for a home office, new furnishing, people spending money on cars. Obviously, it's a bit of a shortage of new cars at the moment, which is a bit of an issue. But that uh, has led to a boom, particularly in home electronics, which, of course, JB Hi-Fi and others benefit from. Well, Shana, it'll be interesting to see what uh, impact the current lockdowns will have on the next earnings season. That's right, and that's the big unknown in all of this. Coming into these these lockdowns, it's not just Australia being affected by Delta, it's it's global, and you can see rising case numbers in the US even. For example, on Friday, uh, Mississippi reported uh, over 5,000 cases, and that's a lowly vaccinated state, and they've got record numbers of people in hospital and an ICU. So there are issues there in lowly vaccinated parts of the world. The good news, I guess, is that parts of the world that are highly vaccinated, UK so far, Europe, 
generally okay. Big parts of the US, which are highly vaccinated, the vaccines are doing what they should do in terms of preventing people from getting sick, such that they have to go to hospital and worse still die. So that they're doing their job in that sense, even if they're not necessarily always preventing people from getting coronavirus, but they are preventing serious illness, which is what we want here. But nevertheless, this period will cause a bit of a setback to the Australian economy. We see the Australian economy contracting in the current quarter. I was looking for a decline of 2.5%, but the more the lockdown in New South Wales gets extended and other the Victorian lockdown looks like it may be extended as well, that contraction will be deeper. And also, I think there are some signs it's slowing conditions in other parts of the world. You know, confidence, consumer confidence has come down in the US. So that is going to be a bit of a, a dampener through the current quarter, through the current half year. And of course, that could weigh on earnings expectations. But I guess to some degree, the share market sort of saying, well, we know all of that. We saw that last year. And yet there was a huge rebound in profits. And anyone who sold out through that big decline in the market through February, March last year ended up missing out on the rebound if they stayed out. So you can sort of understand why shareholders Share investors are probably feeling, well, we've got to look through this as far as we can because history tells us you get this rebound. But bottom line is we do have to allow uh, a messy second half, the current quarter particularly. I, I think, though, as we go through 2022, we'll see a pretty good rebound as the vaccines hopefully continue to do their job and that enables a reopening, even though we, we're probably still going to have coronavirus circulating in the community and, and obviously it will settle down to become something a bit like the flu. Circulates but doesn't kill people in mass, then that's uh, something we can learn to live with. But that, I think, does point to pretty good profit growth through next year. So, Yes, we're going to see a pause in profits, we're going to see a setback, um, but we should see a bounce back either from later this year, but particularly through next year as the vaccination rate goes up. As long as these lockdowns continue, we could have another negative quarter and that could lead us back into a recession. That's right. And of course, Europe indeed saw that in the December and March quarters, December quarter last year and March quarter this year. So they had a a double dip recession, if you like, actually the first half of last year and then uh, the latter part of last year and the early part of this year. So that that is certainly a risk for Australia. It is also a risk that the June quarter itself could go negative. We know consumer spending, retail sales held up or did pretty well through the quarter, but uh, trade was a detractor. And if the hit from the lockdowns that were creeping in at the end of the June quarter negative enough, then it could tip the June quarter into recession. And then, of course, at the other end, there is the, there is the risk that if the lockdowns continue, the December quarter might be uh, negative. So, yeah, there is a risk there that you get that negative headline with recession. But I think from last year's experience, most investors realise that this is a very different recession to the normal one. It's a recession induced by lockdown, by government saying you've got to stay at home and therefore that impacting economic activity. My rough estimate, for example, for the state of New South Wales is that right now with the lockdown applying to the whole of the state, not just Greater Sydney, you're looking at a hit to to GDP each week of $1.25 billion. Just Greater Sydney was just $1 billion, but now you've added the whole lot in, $1.25 billion per week. That's a massive hit. The good news is that if you look at it this way, governments are pumping a similar amount of money into the economy. Now, that doesn't help as you go through the lockdown, but it does mean a lot of pent-up demand gets built up and should help the recovery um, and help businesses stay on their feet and people maintain the relationship to their employer. So that should give us confidence we get this rebound, even though we could find ourselves having another recession. The, the other issue, too, with these lockdowns is the impact these have on uh, confidence businesses unlikely to put on more people when they're in a state of constant lockdown. No, they won't. And that's why we have to find a way to, to move beyond these lockdowns. 
I mean, if you can have a lockdown which goes for four or five days or even a week, which is what many states were having uh, prior to the recent round of lockdowns, and Queensland's managed to on several occasions in South Australia, if, if you can keep it to that, then it's not horrendous. But if you're constantly going for... Well, and Victoria's probably going to come up for their third week of a lockdown. Uh, New South Wales heading to nine weeks, probably going to be 12 at least. Then that does affect confidence. And rather than workers being put on, you end up with layoffs. But the longer we stay in this phase where we've got continuous lockdowns, then yes, it's going to uh, dampen business optimism and uh, weaken employment. So the real answer to this is that the vaccines do their job and we get a big chunk of the population vaccinated. You can debate whether it's 70% of adults or 80% of adults or 80% of the whole population we may need to, to vaccinate given the increased transmissibility of the Delta variant. But at least we are heading in that direction. Last week, we did more than 1.5 million vaccinations. At that rate, on my calculation, we're going to hit the 70% of adults marker in the middle of October. We'll hit 80% of adults in November and we'll, we could, if we keep going, we could get to 80% of the whole population by the end of the year, by mid-December, in fact. And, of course, that, of course, uh, assumes that we overcome some vaccine hesitation for some people. But I think, yeah, the only way out of this really is uh, the vaccines work and will continue to work and we get a big chunk of the population vaccinated. If that's the case, then I think, confidence should rebound quite strongly but obviously at this point we're still in a sort of a bit of a suppression stage and that's going to act as a bit of a dampener until we come out of that stage. Well uh, I mean if we get to 80 percent I mean that would mean Australia's done a better job than the US, the UK and Israel because they're not at that level and that would have a big impact on confidence. It would. Bear in mind that Singapore is almost at that level. When I last looked, Singapore had 79% of adult, 79% of the whole population with one dose. And given they're using Pfizer or Moderna, that means within two weeks they'll have 79% at two doses. And I suspect they're going to get easily to the 80% mark. Canada is at 74% with at least one dose and they're using Moderna and Pfizer as well. So within a few weeks, they'll be at 74% with two doses. So some of these countries have sort of really ramped it up. And I suspect that what's going to happen in the US and even the UK is as coronavirus continues to circulate, the pressure to get a greater portion of the population vaccinated will, will ramp up. You can see that in the south of the US. The south is where a big chunk of the new cases are. In fact, it's interesting when you look at the stats the number of new cases in the top quartile of highly vaccinated states is uh, three times less than it is in the bottom quartile of vaccinated states. And likewise, with deaths and hospitalisations, it's running around seven times less. So it seems to me that the pressure on these countries, which at the moment the US is only at 50% fully vaccinated, uh, the UK is about 60% fully vaccinated, the pressure on these countries will be to get their rates up as well. But it seems to me when I look at the various surveys that vaccine hesitation in Australia has declined dramatically as a result of the situation in New South Wales and to a lesser degree Victoria. And that's motivating a lot of people to head out for the vaccines. You may end up with this perverse situation that laggard states like WA, which has done a fantastic job of controlling coronavirus, finds that they're not as vaccinated. So when New South Wales and Victoria can get to the point where they're reopened, when they meet their vaccine targets, you've got other parts of Australia lagging behind and therefore remaining vulnerable. So that, that'll be interesting to see how that pans out. But 
least in the vaccination sense, we lagged horribly. That, that I think, with the management of the quarantine system was the two big mistakes Australia made in the last uh, nine months. Uh, but at least we seem to be making up the lost ground in terms of the vaccination rate, which is now ramping up to be up with the higher vaccination rates we've seen in many, many other developed countries in the world. Well, Shane, that's all fantastic. And uh, thank you very much for your insights. My pleasure, Leon. So what's happening in the news? Well, the economic cost of lockdowns is expected to surge past $20 billion if Greater Sydney's stay-at-home orders are extended beyond August, further deepening the September quarter economic contraction. Economists are again questioning whether the Reserve Bank's decision to push ahead with scaling back its weekly bond-buying program from, from September is sustainable. AMP Capital Chief Economist Shane Olver said lockdown restrictions imposed since May were already expected to cost about $17 billion and ending restrictions in Sydney in August was looking unlikely. AMP's economic activity tracker last week dipped to its lowest level since the first national lockdown. Extended lockdowns of Sydney and Melbourne, as well as fresh stay-at-home orders in parts of Queensland, ACT and regional New South Wales are expected to further weigh on activity. And the Reserve Bank has declared it is ready to step in and do more to support the economy should the Delta crisis worsen and lead to a more significant setback for the recovery, minutes from the bank's most recent meeting have revealed. The commitment came despite the central bank acknowledging that fiscal support via the Commonwealth and state governments was the more appropriate tool to help businesses and workers stay afloat through lockdowns which are now in place in New South Wales, Victoria, the ACT and parts of the Northern Territory. Nonetheless, minutes from the RBA's August 3rd board meeting showed the board would be prepared to act in response to further bad news on the health front should that lead to a more significant setback for the economic recovery. And Qantas will make COVID-19 vaccinations mandatory for all staff from at least mid-November after a survey showed three-quarters of staff backed the move in a major step for one of Australia's largest employers. Frontline staff like cabin crew, pilots and airport workers will need to have gotten the jab by November the 15th and the remainder of the airline's 20,000 employees will need it by the end of March 2022. Qantas said it would consider medical exemptions. And television networks have seen advertising revenues soar during the pandemic as Australians spend much more time at home watching screens. Australians have turned to TV through all the twists and turns of the horrible health crisis, whether to watch trusted, timely news or when it gets all a bit overwhelming, for light relief, entertainment, or to cheer on their favourite sports teams. New figures released by Think TV, which compiles research into marketing and technology, reveal that the streaming arm of TV networks broadcast the video on demand, or BVOD, services, excluding SBS, also significantly increase, climbing by 63.4% to $278 million in the same period. These included record-breaking performances by both free-to-wear and subscription services BVOD platforms including 7plus, 9now, 10play, Foxtel Go, Foxtel Now and KO. In the six months to June, TV advertising revenues rose to $1.9 billion, an increase of 27.2% when compared to the same period in 2020. Free-to-wear metropolitan advertising revenue rose in the 12-month period by 11.5% to $2.6 billion, while for regional free-to-wear services, revenue climbed by 4.9% to $640 million. The radio industry has also seen advertising revenue soar. Latest figures from Commercial Radio Australia showed revenue in July was up 19.3% compared to July last year. Advertising in the five major capital cities, Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, Adelaide and Perth, totaled $48.5 million in July, compared to $40.7 million in July 2020. 
And the seasonally adjusted wage price index rose 0.4% in the June quarter 2021, with the annual growth rate at 1.7%, according to figures released by the Australian Bureau of Statistics. At Sydney Airport has rejected a revised takeover bid from a consortium of superannuation fund investors worth about $23 billion. The airport advised the ASX on Monday it received a revised indicative, conditional and non-binding proposal from the Sydney Aviation Alliance. Sydney Airport said it's prepared to hold discussions with suitors over the takeover offer. The airport said Monday it's open to engaging with the bidders led by IFM investors if they make an offer that reflects long-term value. Sydney Airport's rejected suitors are relying on the company's investors, including Unisuper, to pressure it into talks after, after the second takeover approach, worth $22.8 billion from a consortium led by IFM investors and global infrastructure partners, was knocked back. Unisuper would keep its equity stake in Sydney Airport if a consortium's takeover proposal succeeds as part of conditions for a scheme of arrangement outlined by the bidders. Jamie Hanna, Deputy Head of Investments and Capital Markets at Van Eck, said that while the revised offer of $8.45 per share was still too low, the consortium, which now also includes Australian Super, should be given access to the airport's books. And the competition's watchdog novel criminal case against a CFMEU over alleged cartel conduct has collapsed following questions about witnesses' memories and documents withheld from the union. Commonwealth prosecutors, during a committal hearing on Tuesday, withdrew criminal charges against construction, forestry, maritime, mining and energy union ACT Secretary Jason O'Mara that alleged he had engaged in price-fixing in the steel-fixing and scaffolding industries in 2012-13. The case, which could have resulted in, in up to 10 years' jail, was one of the first times the competition laws had applied to negotiations in industrial relations and was expected to mark a precedent for further cases. Australian Competition Consumer Commission Chairman Rod Sims said prosecutors' decision to withdraw was made in the context of the extended period of time which has elapsed since the alleged conduct occurred and the challenges that pose for witnesses' memories of relevant events. However, CFMEU National Secretary Dave Noonan blasted the agency and said the foul case raises serious questions about the ACCC's behaviour in the matter. The cartel case was in response to the 2015 Hayden Royal Commission and claims that the CFMEU ACT had organised meetings with contractors over concerns they were winning jobs at ridiculously low prices. Officials allegedly told scaffolding companies they needed to bring their prices up to meet the costs of the CFMEU's 2013 enterprise agreement and told them the union had done the same thing for the steel fixer companies. The CFMEU denied claims of price fixing and said the conduct was part of normal pattern bargaining for workers' pay and conditions. And BHP says it will be better placed to invest in a lower carbon world after announcing its dual listing structure will be unified in Australia and its capital-heavy petroleum division hived off to Woodside Petroleum. BHP Chief Mike Henry said a desire to play a bigger role in the global megatrends around decarbonisation and food security were behind the decision to merge its petroleum division with Woodside, unify its dual listed structure and spend US $5.7 billion on a new potash mine in Canada. BHP has been two companies operating with the appearance of a single entity since the 2001 merger of Australia's BHP and London Liston Billiton. Unification of that structure has long been anticipated and will be executed through a mechanism where the Australian listed half of BHP acquires a London listed half. BHP says its shares would still trade in London and South Africa in future, but the company might lose its place in London's FTSE 100 index. Mr Henry said the simplification offered by unification would make it easier to operate amid the challenges of the pandemic and would also make potential acquisitions easier to execute. Exiting the petroleum business will rapidly accelerate the decarbonisation of BHP's portfolio, given it has also spent the past year trying to sell its thermal coal mines and its lower quality coking coal mines. 
And Telstra is rewarding staff with the equivalent of $200 if they have both doses of the COVID-19 vaccine. He's offering staff 200 Telstra Appreciate Points, which is Telstra's internal staff rewards program. The offer is equivalent to $200. Staff can log into Telstra's online Appreciate store and convert their points to Woolworths and Coles vouchers, vouchers for buying goods at a range of Australian retail stores and experiences. They can also pay Telstra bill. The scheme will be applied retrospectively so that those who have already had the two jabs won't miss out. The scheme will begin with Australian employees and will be open until at least December 31st. Getting the jab at Telstra is voluntary for now. And the profit reporting season continues. Domino's Pizza Enterprises delivered a 29% increase in net profit to $188.2 million for the 12 months ending June. Coles revenue rose $38.9 billion, while EBIT firmed 6.3% to $1.87 billion and profit advanced 2.8% to $1 billion. CSL reported a 13% increase in revenue to US $10.3 billion, while net profit firmed 13% to US $2.375 billion. BHP reported an 88% increase in attributable profit to US $17 billion. Woodside reported a 31% increase in revenue to $2.5 billion, while net profit rose to $317 million, rebounding from a $4.1 billion loss a year earlier. Tapcorp reported statutory net profit after tax of $269 million, following an $870 million loss last financial year. Packaging giant Amcor has hiked its full-year profit 53% to US $939 million on sales of US $12.68 billion. Bendigo and Adelaide Bank has delivered a 51.5% surge in cash profit to $457.2 million. JB Hi-Fi's net profit soared 67.4% to $506.1 million in 12 months ending June, as consumers switched from setting up their home offices to keeping themselves entertained at home during lockdown. Carcel.com's revenue from continuing operations rose 8.4% to $427.2 million, while its net profit climbed 14% to $130.7 million. Global mining tech company Index Revenue rose 11.2% to $264 million during the financial year, while EBITDA climbed 38.8% to $75.5 million. Net profit after tax rose 45.5% to $31.7 million. Bluescope Steel booked a US $1.19 billion after tax profit for the financial year on underlying earnings of US $1.72 billion and revenue of $12.87 billion, its best financial result since breaking away from BHP in 2002. GPT Group's total revenue rose 179.6% to $989.1 million, while net profit soared 246.1% to $760.5 million. GWA Group's total revenue from ordinary activities rose 1.8% to $405.7 million, while total EBIT slid 16.1% to $59 million, and total net profit dipped 20.1% to $35.1 million. Oil producer Beach Energy has reported a full year net profit down 37% to $316.5 million, on revenue down 10% to $1.56 billion. Backing out a $117 million non-cash impairment from the statutory profit, its underlying profit finished down 21% to $363 million. Lendlease reported statutory profit after tax of $222 million for the period, following a $310 million loss for the, in the 2020 financial year. Core operating profit after tax increased 83% to $377 million.
Seven West Media reported financial 2021 net profit of $318.1 million from a loss of $201.2 million on a statutory basis and underlying net profit of $125.5 million, up 240% from $36.9 million. Steadfast Group's revenue rose 11% to $751.1 million, while EBITDA climbed 18% to $262.7 million. Net profit rose 359% to $143 million. Four-wheel drive accessories group ARB grew profits on an after-tax basis 97% to $112.9 million for the year until June 30 on the back of bumper demand for its products. Venture capital group Baylor swung to a full-year net profit of $28 million versus a loss of $4 million in the prior year. Charter Hall Retail REIT reported statutory profit of $291.2 million, up from $44.2 million in the previous financial year, while operating earnings increased 90.5% to $156.2 million. The Dexas Diversified Trust grew net profits after tax attributable security holders by 17% to $1.1 billion in the year until June 30. Domain Holdings revenue rose to 10.7% to $289.6 million, while EBITDA firm 21.1% to $100.6 million and net profit climbed 66.4% to $32.9 million. Santos revenue rose 22% to US $2.04 billion during the first half, while profit was US $354 million, recovering from a US $289 million loss a year ago. Global kitchen appliance maker Breville Group reported a 42.3% rise in full-year net profit to $91 million, boosted by strong demand for coffee makers and mixers from people spending more time at home. Magellan's net profit declined 33% to $265.2 million on a statutory basis and fell 6% to $412.7 million on an adjusted basis, reflecting the direct investments made by Magellan Capital Partners and Magellan's own growth strategies and new products. Global Metals and electronics recycler Sims reported profits of $229.3 million compared to a loss of $265.3 million a year ago as revenue rose to $5.92 billion. Gold miner of Silver Lake Resources revenue rose 5% to $598.3 million, while EBITDA firm 12% to $290.8 million, and profit after tax fell 62% to $98.2 million. Pharmaceutical wholesaler EBOS Group's revenue for the period was up 5% to $9 billion, while statutory audited net profit after tax climbed 14% to $185.3 million. Spark New Zealand's revenue slid 0.8% to New Zealand $3.59 billion, while net profit dipped $8.6 billion to New Zealand $384 million. Auckland-based Fletcher Building has swung to a net profit of New Zealand $305 million versus a loss of New Zealand $196 million in the prior corresponding period. Nearmap revenue rose 17% to $113.4 million, while net profit dipped 49% to $18.8 million. Super Retail Group has nearly tripled its full-year net profit to $110.2 million on sales up 22.2% to $3.45 billion. Domino's Pizza grew underlying earnings before interest in tax 27% to $293 million in the financial year to the end of June. Deterra Royalties has reported revenue of $145.2 million for the 2021 financial year, with net profit after tax of $94.3 million. Emico Holdings revenue rose 14.8% to $620.5 million, while net profit slid 68.7% to $20.7 million. It reported operating EBITDA of $238 million and operating EBIT of $190 million. Copper and gold mining Oz Minerals has hiked its net profit 236.6% to $286.6 million on sales up 71.3% to $986.1 million for the six months to June 30, 2021. 
Abacus Property saw group statutory profits soar 336% in the 2021 financial year to $369.4 million, while funds from operations, or FFO, jumped 9.5% to $136.4 million. Southern Cross media revenue fell 2.2% to $529.1 million, and EBITDA rose 16.4% to $125.9 million. Auto parts supply Babcor has posted a record net profit up 50% to $118.8 million on sales up 20.4% to $1.7 billion for financial in 2021. APN Industries revenue rose 8.9% to $67.4 million, while profit soared $117.4 million to $119.3 million. Real estate real retail asset vicinity centres has narrowed its full year net profit loss to $258 million on revenue down 3.7% to $1.17 billion. Corporate travels revenue tumbled 45% to $174 million and reported a net loss of $54.4 million. A year ago, it reported a loss of $8.2 million. Residential development property group in Genia has lifted its net profit up 131% to $72.7 million on sales up 21% to $295.6 million for financial 2020-21. Aventus Group funds from operations, FFO per security group, was up 9.6% for the period to $110 million. Peter Warren Automotive Holdings sales volumes and gross profit exceeded expectations, the company said, and pro forma net profit before tax was $75.7 million for 2021. Pacific Smiles reported an increase of 27% in, the, in revenue to $153.2 million for FY21, an underlying net profit after tax of $14 million, up to 72.8%. EBITDA rose 40.8% to $33.1 million. MA Financial Group, which used to be called Merlis Australia, reported 60.3% growth in net profit to $14.3 million for the first half. Retailer McPherson's has reported a full-year loss of $3.3 million, impacted by a $6.7 million impairment for unsaleable hand sanitizer. And that's it for this week. And next week, I'll be talking to Alicia Kennedy, Managing Director of Naked Wines. And I'll be talking to Indeed Economist Callum Pickering about the latest jobs figures. In the meantime, you can catch me on Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn. And if you want, leave a comment. Wishing you all a safe and healthy week. And looking forward to bringing you talking business next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.